You're listening to the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Eric Newman. Thanks for joining us. The JX starts today with the debrief where JPR reporters discuss the stories they've been covering this week, including a wrongful death lawsuit in Medford and California. Oh, um, excuse me. And the California primary election on Tuesday. I'm here with reporters Roman Battaglia, Jane Vaughn, Kelby McIntosh, and Justin Higginbottom. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Justin, we're going to start with you. Um, You reported this week on an update in a case involving Asante Rogue Regional Medical Center in Medford. Um, There have been allegations involving a nurse there that really shocked the community. Um, What was the update uh, that happened this week? And tell us a little bit about this situation. Yeah, so for some background first, in late December of last year, news broke that Asante had been reaching out to former patients and their family members describing some pretty serious allegations. Um, Those were that a former nurse had allegedly stolen patients' fentanyl and replaced it with non-sterile tap water. And that caused infections and deaths, although we don't really know how many were impacted yet. Theft of drugs by by healthcare workers is pretty common in hospitals around the country, actually. It's called drug diversion, um, and people get busted for it all the time. But replacing medications with tap water, that that would be a pretty unique case and and very dangerous. Injecting non-sterile liquid um, can kill you because that can cause infection. Even, you know, water that you can drink, like tap water, you can drink that safely, but that might be dangerous if if you injected it. Um, so the Medford Police Department said they were investigating the allegations, but we haven't really heard much since that news broke until this week when the first civil case was filed against the hospital and a nurse um, on behalf of a patient that died there two years ago. Okay, and so what does this new lawsuit allege? So the suit says that a man named Horace Wilson entered Asante as a patient in January of 2022. Um, he injured himself falling from a ladder. He was 65 years old, he ran a cannabis shop in Jacksonville, and doctors ended up removing his spleen, but he was recovering, he was was doing pretty well, until suddenly his health just started deteriorating. Um, Infection spread, he had sepsis, um, and the suit claims that was caused by a nurse replacing his pain medications with that tap water. Um, And it names the nurse for the first time publicly as Danny Marie Schofield. Um, That's the first time we've had a nurse publicly named in these allegations. Uh, The suit says the hospital should have caught this or had had a better process in place to monitor drug diversion, because as I mentioned, that that happens um, quite often. And uh, so Wilson wasn't able to recover from his infection. His organs failed, and he died about a month after entering the hospital. So the suit is asking for close to $11.5 million, and most of that is for Wilson's pain and suffering he experienced before his death. Um, So do you know why this suit was brought up now, and why is this the first lawsuit? Yeah, so I I spoke to the lawyer who filed the claim, and he said there's a two-year statute of limitations for civil cases like this. Wilson died in late February of 2022, so this lawyer was able to fire, file this claim kind of just just in time. Um, he also said cases like this, they just take a lot of time and resources to prepare. Law offices need to comb through a, a lot of medical records. Sometimes they hire doctors to help them with that. Okay. Um, so what can we expect going forward with this case or other cases? Probably more civil cases. Uh, the lawyer who filed this suit says he has more potential clients, which include more deaths. Um, there's also other lawyers that I've spoken with who are investigating dozens of potential victims. 
Also, we're still waiting for criminal charges to be filed. The nurse named in this suit um, actually hasn't been charged yet, although, although the police are said they're investigating. Uh, the Lund Report, they, that's a publication that covers healthcare news in the region, spoke with that nurse actually last month, and she denied the allegations pretty strongly. So her story, as well as more details about the case, will be revealed um, as both these civil and criminal cases move forward. Okay, thanks, Justin. Um, next, we're going to turn to Kelby McIntosh, our reporter down in uh, Humboldt County. Kelby, are you on the line? I am. Okay. Um, so you reported this week on Measure A, um, which is something that's coming up in the California primary election. For those who don't know about it, why is Measure A important? Well, it's passed. It would impose new rules for storage, for water storage, permits, access roads, and more for cannabis growers. And it would also limit the number of permits they can get. And for those who run larger farms that are bigger than about a quarter of an acre, they'll be able to continue operation. They just won't be able to expand. And all this takes place Tuesday of next week. Okay, right. So um, so for those who aren't totally familiar with it, Measure A used to be called the Humboldt Cannabis Reform Initiative. Um, so w- what's, been, what's been the community response to Measure A down in, uh, down in Humboldt County? Well, it's drawing attention from everyone, from college students to our elected officials, um, the tribal community, and even environmental advocates. I mean, people have been really making their thoughts known. So whether you're in the plaza of Arcata or downtown Eureka, you'll definitely see Measure A flyers everywhere. And because of this, like supporters do see this as a way to protect our communities and our ecosystem from big commercial cultivation, but opponents feel that this can make compliance really hard, so hard that legal cannabis market could become unviable in Humboldt County. So um, you've taken some time to go through all the various details in this uh, big piece of legislation or, or uh, big measure. So were there any standout provisions in Measure A that caught your attention? Oh, for sure. Um, one of the ones that really stood out to me is that Measure Measure A requires farms to be on a Category 4 road, a road that is narrow two-lane roadway, normally that has speed limits around between 25 to 40 miles per hour. Because most farms are on private roads, that would require a lot of expensive upgrades and an engineer's approval. Another standout provision to me also would require growers to do a groundwater analysis if they use a well, just to make sure their operation doesn't deplete any aquifers, rivers, or creeks. And this measure would make it difficult for farmers to renew their permits. And that was according to an analysis by the county. Okay. Um, So what should Humboldt County residents know uh, additionally from the things you've told us about Measure A? Well, commercial cannabis applications come through the county's planning and building department. And they often require a range of permits from other state agencies like the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and CAL FIRE, just to name a few. If Measure A passes, it would add more hoops for growers trying to acquire permits and wanting to expand. Now, the language of Measure A is still vague on who covers the cost for this, but most likely it will fall on the growers. But the true essence of the initiative is just it just wants to make sure that people who have been affected by large commercial cultivation are heard and taken seriously. Okay, thanks so much, Kelby. Um, 
we will definitely continue following this after next Tuesday when uh, results start to come in. Um, Jane, we're going to turn to you now. Um, you covered a story this week about alleged sexual misconduct by a school employee here in Ashland. Tell us about that. So the Ashland Police Department is currently investigating a case of sexual misconduct that has been alleged against an employee of one of the Ashland School District's uh, schools. It's the outdoor school known as Trails, which has about 113 students and serves grades K through 5. That employee has been placed on administrative leave. And talking to the Ashland Police Chief, Ty O'Mara, he says they got this complaint uh, last week. Uh, the incident happened recently, so a police investigation is underway. Um, he says they've been getting lots of information coming into their department now about this person, um, inappropriate comments and, and other allegations and things like that. So the police detective is trying to sort through all of that right now. So what's the background here that we should know about? So the important background is that the Ashland Police Department actually investigated this same person for a different case back in 2022. That was a sexual assault case. Different victim, same alleged perpetrator. That case was against a minor who was not a student at Trails, and the incident did not occur on any school campus. But the police investigated that case, and then they sent it off to the Jackson County District Attorney, who says they declined the case due to insufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. So a uh, person was not charged. But the question is, why was that person still employed at the school for the past two years? Why was the school unaware of that 2022 investigation? And now this person is being uh, investigated again for another alleged incident by the police. And so the Ashland superintendent, Samuel Bogdanov, said in an email to parents that they do do background checks on all of the employees before they hire them. But this incident happened after this person had already been hired. So assuming they cleared the background check. So what do we know about how this came to pass, even with, uh, you know, similar incidents a few years ago? Yeah. So again, in, in emails to parents, the superintendent has said that it's standard practice for certain organizations to report these incidents to each other. So those agencies are uh, Oregon's Department of, of Human Services and their Office of Training, Investigations and Safety, which is called OTIS. Um, also law enforcement, Oregon's Department of Education and Oregon's Teacher Standards and Practices Commission. So it's sort of standard practice for them all to be uh, communicating and reporting incidents. Um, but the superintendent Bogdanov said that the failure to communicate came from the Office of Training, Investigations and Safety. So he has said that Otis said the information they received came through a different way than it normally might have. Um, they had a gap in their procedure. They reported it to the school. And I've spoken with Otis as well. And they said, unfortunately, our investigator inadvertently failed to follow an established protocol that would have triggered that cross-reporting to the Department of Education. So um, Otis messed up in their in their protocol for the reporting procedure. The school district did not receive notification um, of this, this sexual abuse, as Otis says. Um, and so they claim that Otis says they've already taken action. They're trying to, they, they are retraining their investigations on the protocol, and they're currently um, looking to see if other types of changes are, are necessary to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So like I said, police investigation is underway, and we'll have to see what happens next. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Mm -hmm. um, Roman, we're going to turn to you now. Um, so you reported on a new development in Shasta County uh, related to hand counting ballots in elections. What happened there? 
Um, well, the Citizens Committee and the Shasta County Elections Committee met this week and they approved this recommendation to send to the Board of Supervisors. Um, that recommendation is essentially that the board should pass a local ordinance to mandate the hand counting of elections, which they basically want the county to violate a state law that was passed last year that bans hand counting in most California elections, including in Shasta County. Um, this committee was created by one of the far-right politicians on the Board of Supervisors, Patrick Jones. So if memory serves, I thought maybe we were done with hand counting <laughs> ballots in Shasta County uh, last year. So why is this coming up again? I know. It seems like we're hitting some deja vu. Um, we did deal with a lot of that last year. The majority on the Board of Supervisors wanted to try and hand count ballots in elections. Um, that process has been found to be more expensive, more time consuming, and less accurate than machines. You know, it was going to cost millions of extra dollars, according to the elections uh, department. Um, the supervisors were motivated then by unproven election fraud conspiracy theories, and then the state stepped in. That state law that I mentioned was directly targeted at Shasta County and aimed to prevent hand counting in other counties. Um, and you know, since then, some of the supervisors have said they wanted to try hand counting anyways in defiance of the law. Patrick Jones has said they would move forward previously and that they would sue the state, but he's sort of backtracked on that since then. Okay. So um, what were the election commission's reasons for approving this new recommendation? Yeah, they essentially cited some of the same election fraud conspiracy theories that have been used by the county supervisors. A number of these theories have been debunked by political science researchers and elections officials. And another big argument is that they say that county law supersedes state law in regards to voting systems. And they claim that hand counting is cheaper than machine counting you know, according to their numbers, but that is goes against the elections department's estimates. Okay. Um, so do we know if the county could legally do this? You mentioned there's a, some new laws. Yeah. According to some reporting from the record searchlight who are actually at this meeting, um, the report was not reviewed by the county elections department or by the county's legal team before it was approved. So, you know, when I was looking at it, there were some aspects that seemed legally sketchy. Um, one part says that, you know, California Election Code 19207 grants authority to the county to adopt any kind of voting system that it wants, but then they specifically fail to note the rest of that part of the law, which says that those voting systems have to be certified or approved by the Secretary of State. Um, and because of the state law, hand count systems cannot be authorized by the Secretary of State in most elections, including in Shasta County. You know, there's a couple of other things that I saw where it just seems like the law may not have been read in full or purposefully ignored that kind of contradicts their argument. Like they copy pasted part of a law that says that state law supersedes county and city ordinances um, when it comes to elections. But it seems like they thought that that meant the opposite, that county law supersedes state law. So it's kind of interesting to see what the county's legal team says about that. Okay. I'm sure we will hear more. Um, what happens next with this? Yeah, it's going to head to the county board of supervisors. We don't really know what they're going to do, and it kind of depends on what happens on primary night, especially with the recall. Okay. So yeah, so this won't affect the, the March primary on Tuesday. No. Okay, thanks. That's going to do it for the debrief this week. Thanks for listening. You can reach the newsroom with comments about our coverage and suggestions for things that we should cover in the future through our news tip line. You can find that on our website, ijpr.org. And you can find this program and more on our website at jeffexchange.org, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms. 